Good morning. Welcome to service. Uh, delighted to have you here for, for worship. Uh, what I'd also like to uh, take note of, if you could, uh, in your pew, there's the friendship pad. And, it, and if you could, if you be it, uh, are you a member or a guest, uh, please uh, note your presence on the pad and any concerns, issues, or follow-up you'd like to have the folks uh, uh, follow through with. Uh, and please sign, sign your name. Uh, also to uh, let you know, if you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, uh, Stephen minister on duty today is Jane Hunter. So Jane will be the Stephen minister, if you'd, uh, and she would be available in the, in the narthex. Um, let see, Dick Sprinkle. Dick, if you want to come up, Dick's got an announcement uh, with respect to a mission. Uh, and Dick? Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are blessed to be able to live in a community which provides excellent health care, especially for seniors. And two important facilities where special services are provided for seniors are the Rochester Presbyterian Home and Kirkhaven. On May 3rd, which is next Sunday, and then on Mother's Day, May 10th, our annual homes offering will be collected to help these two institutions to accomplish their mission to enhance the quality of life in a quote at home unquote environment. Now details have been sent to you in the mail. I think you should have it by now. And included in there is a pew envelope. Uh, please be sure to mark on your check or envelope that your donation is for the home's offering. We also have our remaining supply of homes offering envelopes. We're actually going from that to just regular pew envelopes in the pews if you, if you uh, wish to use that for your offering. Please note that Jim DeVoe, president of Kirkhaven, will be visiting us next Sunday, May 3rd, to provide additional information about these excellent institutions. And he'll be offering a minute for mission before each of the services. So thank you in advance for giving generously to this important offering. Thanks, Dick. Uh, one more uh, note in your bulletin. You'll see some detail on what appears to be a, a very fascinating upcoming Optimist meeting. And just to make a note that there will be tickets available in the Fellowship Hall after service. And then with that, if uh, Bruce, if you could commence the prelude.
Good Shepherd, we are not alone, for you protect and love your own. And we, responding, know your voice. We hear you calling and rejoice. Another shepherd might turn back and flee at danger's first attack. You lead your sheep to pasture land, to life abundant by your hand. You gather sheep from far and wide, from folds we know and from outside.
Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, you have created us and named us your own, chosen us as your beloved. We gather here in wonder, praising you for the freedom and privilege that is ours to choose life in all its fullness, life in Christ Jesus. In our worshiping, praying, and listening, grant us wisdom and direction concerning choices presently before us as individuals and as community, and give us the strength and courage to choose according to your will for our highest good, for the good of others, and for your holy purposes. Amen. We are given this great gift of free will by which we can choose. And sometimes our choices are not those that God would have for us. The good news is that God never despairs about each one of us. God loves us, and God wants us to approach the throne of grace with confidence, using even this corporate prayer of confession. Freedom-giving God, what a risk you gave in taking us the right to choose. We confess we have made many choices, both willful and unconscious, which have hurt others and ourselves. Out of apathy or fear, we have missed opportunities to learn and grow, to share and serve, and have excused ourselves as though we were victims of fate without freedom, trapped by others' choosing. We confess also that when we have made good intention choices, we've often failed to follow through to fulfill what we have resolved. Forgive our sin, we pray. Amen. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. Let us now choose to receive the freedom of this Easter grace and give God the praise and thanks and giving. seated, friends. Our gospel lesson today from John is one of the iconic I am sayings, and Jesus is speaking. I invite you to hear God's word to you. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. 
I have received this command from my Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite children to join me up here on the stairs. I brought a jar with me and a card today. The jar has something that I like, but you wouldn't know that from what it says on the jar. On the jar, anybody able to read? Who reads? Okay, what's it say? Dung beetle bait. Right. Now, when I've lived in Africa for a little bit, working on a mission project, they have dung beetles. They're very ugly-looking bugs. And do you know where you find them? On the dung. Do you know what dung is? It's poop. Right. They call them poop beetles. Really, right? So I keep my malted milk balls in this jar because the malted milk balls look a little bit like poop. Yeah. And so if you put dung beetle bait on it, it looks like it's for the dung beetles, right? And would you want to eat this then if it... No. So I can have plenty of malted milk balls. It's amazing what words will do If you just had the words, we can actually do actions with words. Now, I have a card, and on the card, I have a phrase, too. I think I opened it earlier. So, you want to tell me what it says in the card? I love you. I love you. Now, that would be nice to get a card that has I love you on it, wouldn't it? It's interesting It's really just ink on paper there. And when we read the Bible in the New Testament, it says we should love not just in words, but in actions, by what we do. So it's important to not just have I love you on a card, because giving a card would be an action, but just to read the words might not be enough if we didn't do something about them. So loving other people would be an important way to put the words on the card into action, which is what the Bible teaches us to do. Let's pray about this. Lord God, we give you thanks for giving to us words that are in the Bible but we know that they won't be so meaningful if they don't help us the way in which we live and what we, the way we talk and the way we treat others. So help others to know that we love you and you love us by what we do and what we say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming up. I hope you have a... I'm afraid I told you my secret. You'll now all want all the, these molded milk balls. Have a good time in Sunday school. Malted milk and chocolate. Pretty good.
In our continuing history of the early church, we read from Acts 4. The actions of today follow on the healing that took place, and I invite you to hear God's word to you. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man had been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite you to turn your hymnals open to number 473. I also want to let you know that we became aware last um, Sunday that some of the uh, speakers that are in underneath our balcony weren't working, and we asked for some help with that. And uh, when we got here at the early service, we had some hissing in, uh, in the sound system. So if that occurs, uh, I just want to warn you that it might. We don't quite know what to do. We tried turning things off, and that didn't help much either. But uh, we have some more work to do with Again, making sure that the sound reaches underneath the balcony. Uh, Number 473 is actually a psalm. It's the most well-known of all the psalms, number 23. And perhaps you grew up with a hymnal where all of the psalms were printed out in the back with alternating verses in bold print. And then sometime during the worship, there would be a responsive reading and it would be one of the psalms. We tend not to do that in a lot of hymnals today because if we really want to read from the psalms, we just open Bibles that are in the pews and read them there. But here is a reprint of a psalm. It's number 23 for responsive reading, but it also has a refrain to be sung. So we're going to give that a shot. I've asked Bruce to kind of play this through once for us, and then we'll try singing it. And this is Shepherd Me, O God, Psalm 23. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk to the I fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy God is 
Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears, from death into life. 1 John 3, 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. We will do that whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, by now you probably understand why this is called Shepherd Sunday, right? We have these passages from the New Testament about shepherds, a rereading of Psalm 23. And it doesn't matter if you're in a Lutheran church or a Roman Catholic one or Episcopal one. All over the world today, they will be reading these texts and thinking about the Good Shepherd. It's a good text. By the way, the oldest copy we have of this text is not in Hebrew, as you would suspect. The oldest copy we have of Psalm 23 is in the Septuagint Greek. And it's always fascinated me that the word for restoring souls there is the two words that come together. Siki, the word for soul, and the word to restore is iatreia in the Greek. So you put them together and you get siki iatreia or psychiatry that comes from Psalm 23. Coca-Cola decided to change its formula once again, offering a new version called Coca-Cola Life. It was launched in Argentina before being test marketed in the United Kingdom, and it will soon be coming to us. Aren't we lucky? Now, Coca-Cola Bottling Company has experimented with new formulas and products many times. Some changes have worked, others have not. This new formula is going to be called Coke Life. Now, people are wondering if it's healthier than regular Coke, since its formula contains a sweetener from natural sources. Coca-Cola Life will get its sweetness from sugar and stevia, which is derived from a plant from the chrysanthemum family. So instead of Coke's 140 calories per can, life will have 89 calories. Coca-Cola has just started offering life, or will soon, and Jesus Christ has been offering life for a long time. Now, as we explore this morning's Bible passages, we're going to have some similar questions. Did Jesus keep the original formula, or did it somehow become changed a bit? And what is his formula, really? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18 That's what God said to Moses and the people of Israel. It is the basic formula. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, we hear the promise of life. In fact, the Gospel was written so that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you might have life. I mean, he explains in chapter 20 the exact reason why he wrote his Gospel. It's there in the 20th chapter. He, he tells us why he wrote in the first place. And the gospel begins with the word of God taking the human form of Jesus. And we're promised that what has come into being in him was life. And that life was the light of all. Belief. Life. Light. You put these ingredients together and you see that a new formula is beginning to emerge. And John goes on to tell us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but might have eternal life. 
So it now seems that love is being added to the formula of life and light as well as a kind of life that extends beyond the grave. Describing himself, Jesus says, not only I am the good shepherd, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Life in his name, eternal life, the light of life, abundant life, the way, the truth, the life, 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 life. Coke doesn't have anything new on this. Christ life. Not the same old formula, by the way. It is due. It's based on believing in Jesus and loving one another. As far as formulas go, the old one's been terrific. For thousands of years, it's worked well in a variety of forms in most of the world's religions. Jews believed, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hindus affirm, one should not behave toward others in a way which is disagreeable to oneself. Buddhists say that you should hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Muslims believe that no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. I mean, there's nothing secret to this formula. Jesus endorsed it. He did so when he made the great commandment, love you the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But surprisingly, in the first of his New Testament letters, the Apostle John gives us a new recipe. This is God's commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Believe in Jesus. Love one another. Not exactly the same old formula. When 30 years ago in April 1985, yeah, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, Coca-Cola changed its formula and introduced the product they called the New Coke. You remember this? The response was overwhelmingly negative, and within three months, the original Coke was back. How bad was it? The company hotline received 1,500 calls per day, four times what they normally logged. Psychiatrists listened to the calls and heard people talking as though they were grieving the death of a family member. They hated to give up the old Coke. Southerners saw the change through the lens of the Civil War, describing it as yet another surrender to the Yankees. Even Fidel Castro described New Coke, reportedly calling it a sign of American capitalist decadence. Bottom line, be careful when you change a successful brand. You might end up breaking something that doesn't need fixing. So what's John up to here? I think he wants to put a human face on the commandment to love one another. 
and that face is the face of Jesus. We know love by this, he says to his brothers and sisters in Christ, that he laid down his life for us. John knows that the problem with the love commandment is that it can easily become very sweet with people enjoying pleasant taste of tender emotions and nice charitable thoughts. So he changes the formula to include the bitter sacrifice of the Christ on the cross. Such a change can actually alter our behavior. We ought to lay down our lives for one another, insists John, following the example of Jesus. Under this new formula, sacrificial giving becomes a central part of the Christian life, one that simply cannot be denied. John asks his followers, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need but refuses to help? This past Monday, I was sitting at my desk here in the office when Doris ushered in a woman I've never met before. Doris was getting ready to leave, but Ashley and Steve had come in to get ready for the choir rehearsal that they were conducting on Monday evenings at 6.30. And if you've never sung before or tried to sing, you ought to give this a try. Um, Ashley and Steve were wonderful and patient and have been teaching us some basic skills beginning with rhythm. Well, this woman needed a place to stay for the night. My evening was booked. Transporting her to a woman's shelter in the city would mean not showing up for some evening commitments. She needed legal help. And as I suspected, that was just the tip of the iceberg. So I made some phone calls on her behalf and then took her to a hotel and paid for her evening there and gave her the address and phone number of an attorney in this congregation that she could call the next day. She did get in touch with a lawyer who took two hours of his time to listen to her and give her advice. Even though it may not have been what she wanted to hear, he gave the support of his time and his care and his expertise, not just as an attorney, but as a dad who has listened many times with sensitivity and care. We've since connected on what transpired. There are times when I wonder if God goes around arranging circumstances for us to give more serious consideration of the scriptures. There you are reading on your desk, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help when someone needing help walks in your office? They're in your space. Now, if I had given no help, I probably would not have slept very well. For I would have had to admit that John asked a very good question here. 
Where do we see God's love in a person who has the world's good and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses? Where do we see God's love in such a person as that? Well, we don't. It's not there. In 1973, J.M. Darley and C.D. Batson published their famous paper, which was being prepared as partial fulfillment of their Ph.D. degrees. The title of the paper was this, From Jerusalem to Jericho, a study of situational and dispositional variables in helping behaviors. Now, this famous study has been written about in all kinds of uh, uh, psychology and social work books and papers ever since. Previous analysis had failed to find a link between personality traits and the likelihood of helping others in an emergency. However, these two gentlemen wanted to change what had yet to be discovered. And they did it through the use of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I see it every time I come in this room with that window on the left. What possessed the priest and Levite to pass by the injured man on the side of the road? Maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they were busy. Had something important to do. Maybe the Samaritan was in less of a hurry. Maybe the virtues that the religious leaders espoused were not something they followed themselves. Now, these researchers had three hypotheses. One, people thinking faith-based religious helping thoughts would still be no more likely than others to offer assistance. Two, people in a hurry will be less likely to offer aid than others. And three, people who are religious and faith-based in a Samaritan fashion will be more likely to help than those of a priest or Levite fashion. In other words, people who are religious for what it will gain them personally will be less likely than those who value Faith and Christ for themselves, for the benefit of serving others. Now, I was among a group of seminary students who were concentrating our studies in the area of Christian education, and we were recruited by Dan Batson for this experiment. A group of students were to complete personality questionnaires about their faith. And then they were to begin experimental procedures in one building and told to go to another building to continue their work. On the way, they were going to encounter a man slumped in an alleyway, the victim's condition unknown, hurt or drunk. This is where I came into the picture using some makeup and costuming from a Carter Repertory Theater, I got to play the part of the drunk in the alley. 
I even got to have some spirits dumped on me for olfactory costuming. <laughs> Darley and Batson varied the amount of urgency they told the subject before sending them to the other building and the task they would do when they got there. One task was to talk about seminary jobs. The other was to either write some educational material for a Sunday school lesson or a sermon about the Good Samaritan. In the alleyway, they passed this fellow sitting slumped in a doorway who moaned, who coughed twice. That was my lines. I had to cough as they kind of walked by. They set up a scale of helping. Zero failed to even notice the victim in need. Now, I, there were some zeros. One, perceived need but offered no aid. Two, did not stop but helped indirectly, told an aide or a teacher on their arrival in the next office building. Three, stopped and asked if the victim needed help. Four, after stopping, insisted on taking the victim inside and then left him there. Or five, refused to leave the victim or insisted on taking him somewhere for help. Then after the arrival at the second site, these students had the subject give the talk and respond to a questionnaire. So, I shall tell you the results. Overall, 40% offered some help to the victim. In low-hurry situations, 63% helped. Medium, hurry, 45 And those in high-hurry situations, because they are afraid they were late for class, only 10% offered any help. There was little correlation between faith types and helping behavior. The only variable that showed some effect was faith as a quest versus strong familiarity with Jesus. Of the people who helped, those who saw faith as a quest for themselves were far less likely to offer substantial help than those who scored low in that area. Conclusions. A person in a hurry is less likely to help people even if he's going to speak on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And some literally stepped over or on the victim. But those who seemed to be eager to be disciples and follow Jesus were moved more readily to compassion. Some even complained about their sense of guilt and their callousness in their failure to render enough assistance. Now, I have reflected on this experiment since participating in it a long time ago. And I've started to wonder, have we jettisoned or thrown away our ethics, or have our ethics become a luxury as the speed of our daily lives increases? 
We've got to be so fast with everything now, we even can't even wait a minute to get our new iPhone watch. As our lives become busier, we have narrowed our focus on helping. What will happen? What will happen to our culture or our country if fewer people know Jesus? We've got to pay attention to the formula in 1 John. Pepsi built factories in many of the former Soviet states a long time before its great rival uh, Coca-Cola got there. And so when the Coca-Cola company opened its first factory in Georgia, and by saying Georgia, I do not mean our state of Georgia. I mean that part that was a portion of the Soviet Union at the time. They decided to promote the arrival of their new bottling plant. They invited Edward Shevardnadze, the president of Georgia, for the celebration, and he agreed to come. The great day came, the first bottle of Coke was about to roll from the assembly line, and the president of their country, the national TV channels, cameras, reporters, everyone was there. The first bottle came off the assembly line. They freshly opened it. They handed it to Mr. Shevardnaza. He picked it up. He sipped some with the whole country watching and said, Great taste, just like Pepsi. (laughs) We have to pay some attention to this new formula. Life. That is what Christ offered. In a world filled with death, we are offered life. In a world overcome by sickness and disease, we've been offered life that is eternal. In a world consumed with taking life, we are offered life. In a world that is tired and weary, we are offered life through love. But we religious people have a tendency to put conditions on God's love. Well, if you are righteous enough, God will love you. But the New Testament teaches, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There are no conditions. I love you is the message from God. God accepts you and loves you. This is where many parents miss their mark. They may not know how to express unconditional love, especially if they were never loved that way themselves. There's always an if connected. If you make mommy and daddy proud, then we will love you. If you make good grades in school, mommy and daddy will love you. If you accept our values, then mommy and daddy will love you. Always in if. Now this cross is the most precious symbol in the world because it represents what everyone in this world desperately needs and that is unconditional love. 
Dr. Joyce Brothers once said that children need to be loved without qualification so that the seeds of self-esteem can grow. Such conditioning love does not mean that you set no limits, says Dr. Brothers. Setting boundaries demonstrates to a child how important he or she is to you when a child oversteps, show disappointment with the behavior, not the child. I mean, that's a fine line, but it's important. Show disappointment with the behavior, not with the child. In other words, we change a little bit of our language. We don't say, Tommy, you are a bad boy. Instead, we say, Tommy, you did a bad thing. Our children are our children, whether they live up to our expectations or not. And we love them even when they disappoint us. We love them even though they have not been all we want them to be. And from where do we understand this? From some guru writing child development book? No, it comes right from the Bible. John has summarized his new formula with the words... Believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He links belief in Jesus with love for one another, knowing that the clearest example of love is the sacrificial love and Jesus Christ. And the result of this new formula is a closer connection to God, one in which all who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them, and a better world. I suggest that this new formula is worth a sip. Don't you think? Believing in Jesus, loving one another, draws us closer to God and to each other. So, give it a try. You have nothing to lose and a whole life to gain. And if you think so too, there's a prayer here we can use. Lord Jesus, you have chosen to give your life that we might know we are free to choose the abundant life. You have spread a table before us with opportunity for service and mission and giving. We choose now to offer our lives back to you in faithful discipleship, to carry the cross of our decision with determination and courage. We bring these gifts as a sacrifice of love for you, asking you to shepherd us to faithfulness. Please bless us and our giving, we pray. Amen.
Please be seated, friends. Bob and Sharon, Pete, you have adorned our chancel beautifully, and Emma is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Congratulations on your new granddaughter. You join the ranks of a lot of folks who are pleased at new grandchildren. Beverly and Alan, congratulations on little Madeline. She's absolutely beautiful as well. And we give thanks and praise that Jonathan and Erica Trotto successfully had their baby after a very long labor for Erica. But the baby was born last Sunday evening, and we're looking forward to seeing this little boy in our nursery very soon. We also give thanks and praise that our nursery is so well stocked, as is our cooperative nursery school, because some very saintly people worked on a great fundraiser Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and the cooperative nursery school earned $1,700, as well as we're able to give some gifts on to Saints Place and a couple other well-deserving groups. So congratulations to the um, hard work of the folks for the cooperative nursery school. We are in prayer for those in the world who need God's assistance. So we are in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Nepal as they dig themselves out from the terrible earthquake this weekend. We also are in prayer for those who are continuing to battle various things and do so with courage. We haven't seen Dick Pollan in our congregation for some time, but that's because he's keeping up a great spirit up at the Highlands despite the challenges that he has faced and I give thanks and praise for his continuing great attitude. And those of you at the Highlands know how fabulous an attitude he keeps. Similarly, um, Dirk Tenhagen took a bit of a spill at the Highlands this week. He's cut the outside of his hand, but they're hopeful that he'll be able to use, continue the use of it. And we are in prayer for Dirk. We're also in prayer for the O'Dwyers. Um, Alice has gone out to Chicago to be with daughter Pam McGann, who is now battling C. diff and we are hopeful that they'll be able to get ahead of that despite all the challenges that Pam has been facing with her own cancer. We're in prayer continuing for Judy Lewis, our lovely friend and neighbor in the Ark House. She has moved to a point where they're able to take her off the respirator every once in a while, so we give thanks and praise for her moving out of this pneumonia into hopefully a new stage of independence. And we are in prayer for God's healing help at end-of-life stage, the mercies that can come from hospice. We are in prayer for Mary, who is the great-grandmother of Paige de Pasquale, a newer member in our congregation. And then finally, Mary Lou Koch, we're in support with you as you mourn the loss of Bob. It's lovely to see you sitting with others who can give you the support and love and to have the choir continuing to serenade you. We give thanks and praise for that life. And also we're in prayer for Bill and Becky McColgan, both of them have been back to Indiana a couple of times over the past several weeks. First, when Bill lost his mother and he was able to be present for that, and when Becky lost her mother and she was able to be present for that. We give thanks and praise that God accompanies us in all of our grieving. Friends, please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving Lord God, in this season of Eastertide and in gratitude for your son's saving death and resurrection, Help us see the many reasons we can rejoice in your fulfilled promises to us. By your grace, we have been made a part of your family. You call us your children, and so we are. You watch over our coming and going. You nurture our growth with sustaining wisdom. You send your spirit as a guide for our wanderings and give the promise of Christ's redeeming love to rescue us from waywardness. We thank you for trials that test our allegiance and the brokenness within us that is the prelude to new growth. 
when we shy away from suffering, confront us with the courage of Jesus, who endured on our behalf. When we avoid sacrifice, chasten us with your judgment and fill us anew with zeal for your righteousness. You've called us your children and made us members of your household. Help us to grow as faithful brothers and sisters in response to your trust. We thank you for giving us this privileged ministry of prayer. And so we rejoice with those celebrating new life, anniversaries, promotions, triumphs, and measures of progress, big and small. We recognize your hand in each of these celebrations and thank you for being there. And we boldly pray for healing, wholeness, comfort, and strength for all those of your children. Be with those who have surrendered loved ones to your care and help them to know both a sure sign of your kingdom and their loved one's place in it. Gracious God, accept the prayers that we offer on this Eastertide day. Lead us by your spirit through the waters of baptism and help us to pray as your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a great day to enjoy God's great affection for all of us and to demonstrate that by the way which we treat others. Love, not just with word but with action. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.